Sunday. It, it's, the, uh, it, it's a time where people commemorate the, the momentous occasion when Jesus entered into Jerusalem on a donkey to the cries of people as they declared, Hosanna, Hosanna, and they proclaimed him king. It's where Jesus fulfilled a very important prophecy. But I want you to consider what exactly was happening that day. Let me ask you all a question before we get started. How many of you would say that you are a worshiper of God? How many of you would say that you love Jesus with all your heart? Well, I, 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 I'm, I'm excited for you and I'm excited for us, but I want you to see what we learn from this study this morning of Palm, of, of what many people refer to as Palm Sunday. Turn with me in your Bibles to Zechariah chapter 9, verses 8 and 9. Zechariah chapter 9, verses 8 and 9. Starting at verse 8, what I want us to see is the context, the basis from which these people were worshiping Jesus that day. And we're going to learn some very important things about worship and about looking to Jesus as our king. So starting in verse 8, it says, But I will encamp at my temple to guard against it, uh, to, to guard it against marauding forces. Never again will an oppressor overrun my people. For now I am keeping watch. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And so this prophecy foretold the coming of Jesus as God's mighty king who would deliver the people of Israel from the oppression that plagued them. And it, this, this prophecy provided them great hope. But their hope, as we're going to see in a couple of moments, was distorted. Because these people were not looking to Christ as king. They were not looking to Christ as king. They just wanted a way out from their circumstances and from the rule of Rome. Now, unfortunately, this still remains true in the hearts of some in this day and age. And listen, if you've been around here any, any uh, length of time, you can finish this statement for me. If the shoe fits, don't wear it. Change it. Change it. Right? So I want to speak to your heart today because it reminds me of a story that I once heard which really illustrates how this doesn't make sense, looking to Christ as Lord and declaring he's Lord and King, but not worshiping him as King, not serving him as King. The way the story goes is this. There's, there's new, new, newly established marriage. These guys are like in love, right? And they're, they're newlyweds, and so they just happen to go over to the, to the wife's side of the family for a family reunion. And they show up there, and the place is bustling. There's family all over. And the husband happens to notice that his mother-in-law is coming out of the kitchen and she's transferring a tray with ham in it out of the oven in, uh, onto a counter. But what struck him as odd was that the ends of this ham were cut off. And so he just kind of kept looking at it and wondering about it. He's like, why would they cut the ends of the ham? So finally he goes to his wife because he couldn't stand it any further. He says, hon, why would your mother, why would they cut off the ends of the ham? And she goes, oh, silly. It makes the ham taste better. And he goes, who told you that? She says, 
I'm telling you, it does. It makes it so much better. Ask mom. So a while later, he catches his mother-in-law. He goes to his mother-in-law. He says, hey, mom, Susie says that you said that cutting off the ends of the ham makes it taste better. How is that possible? And she goes, oh, silly. My mom taught me that. I'm telling you it makes it, it, makes it taste better. Well, guess what? His mo- her mom happened to be there. So he goes up to grandma later on. and He says, hey, grandma, let me ask you a question. Susie says that mom told her that when you cut the ends of the ham off, it makes it taste better. And mom says that you say the same. Where'd you get that from? She goes, oh, silly. We cut the ends of the ham off because it didn't fit in the tray. (laughs) My point with this analogy is simply that to look to Christ for a way out of our circumstances but not look to him as Lord and King of our lives makes no sense because it leaves us with an incomplete story of our lives. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. And this is where these people were. We're going to see that in a second. Today I'd like to talk to you on the topic, your king has come. Your king has come. Somebody say that with me if you believe that. My king has come. You believe that? Well, I pray you believe that today. So look, like the people of Israel, we've all been there where we've made the mistake. Maybe you're making that mistake now. Where we want to break free from circumstances of life that weigh us down without looking to Jesus as our king, without following him as our one true king. It's the reason why many today live frustrated in their pursuit of a relationship with God. It's why they doubt God and maybe we even grow discontent with God. And so I want us to learn not just from Jesus on this day, but also from the crowd that was there as he entered triumphantly into Jerusalem. To do that, we're going to have to turn to John chapter 12, and we're going to start at verse 12. And it starts off by saying, The next day, the crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. That should cause you to pause. Because notice that it starts off by alluding to a next day, which means that the previous day is connected to it. So here's a question that you're probably asking yourself. What happened the previous day? That's a great question. We're going to see that in a second. Verse 13. They took palm palm branches, kind of like the ones that you received today. Real palms, by the way. Can you give it up for our team, man? They went out the way. I asked them for palms. And I thought that we were going to get some plastic ones. And they said, no, we can't can't do plastic. We got to do the real thing, right? So I'll be alluding to this in a second. So the scripture says that uh, the people began to uh, take palm branches, and they went out to meet him. And they shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey, and he sat on it as it is written. Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all of this. Only after Jesus was glorified, in other words, when he was risen, did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Now, the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Listen closely. Many people 
because they heard he had performed this sign. I'm going to say that again. Because they heard he had, that he had performed this sign, they went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. Now, this occasion took place during a week that held great significance for the people of Israel. It was a time where the people celebrated two festivals in particular. One of them was known as Purim, which uh, commemorated the deliverance of Israel in Persia during the times of Esther. And the following week, is, which they were leading into, uh, commemorated what was known as Pesach, which is Passover. And this commemorated their deliver, the deliverance of Israel from Egypt by great miracles done by the hand of God. And so you got to get the context here. There was much religious fanfare going on. People came from afar and Jerusalem was bustling with activity. There were sacrifices. There were all types of festivals and preparations taking place. And prior to this moment when Jesus entered to the claims of the people, you have to notice, we have to notice, that the scriptures tell us that Jesus had raised a man named Lazarus from the dead. And it caused quite a stir. It was reason for much talk and for much gathering. So you can imagine and appreciate the excitement, the curiosity, the wonder that seized upon the people of Israel as they heard about it. And according to what we just read, it was the reason why much of the masses showed up in great numbers to see Jesus. I want you to consider that. It was the miracle that drew their attention and said, well, let's go and see. Let's go and meet this guy. And so the scripture says that as Jesus arrived in Jerusalem, the people began to pull palm leaves from the trees. And they began to cry out, Hosanna, Hosanna. The scripture says that they waved and some of them laid it at, in his path. And so they cried, Hosanna, Hosanna. The term Hosanna means save now. Save now. And so as they proclaimed Hosanna, the scripture also says that they proclaimed blessings upon Jesus. And they declared that he was the king of Israel. And so this was a significant moment in Jesus' ministry, but its significance was missed by those who needed it most, God's people in Israel. And so for, for a second there, it's important to understand the significance of these palms. Date palms are majestic. They come from tall trees that grow abundantly in the Holy Land. Their long and large leaves spread out from the top of a single trunk that can grow to more than 50 feet in height. In ancient times, palm branches symbolized strength, goodness, well-being, grandeur, steadfastness in victory. If you think about palm trees, it's one of the only trees that can, can withstand the, 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 the storms that come its way, though it bend, though it be swayed this way, that way, it continues to stand. But I want you to see that the power of the palm tree is not in the branch. It's in its root. It's in its root. 
And so this symbolism of strength and goodness and well-being and grandeur and steadfastness and even victory was a depiction of the root that these palm, that these palm branches uh, came from. And palm branches often depicted, were often depicted on coins and even on important buildings. Solomon himself had palm, uh, palm uh, trees, palm branches uh, uh, inscribed all throughout the temple on the outside of it. And so in ancient times, palm branches were regarded as tokens of joy and triumph. And they were customarily used on festive occasions. You can find some of that uh, in Leviticus 23. I believe it's also in Nehemiah, uh, somewhere in there. And so kings and conquerors were known in these days to be welcomed with palm branches after great victories. As they were scattered before them and people waved them in the air. In these days, victors of Grecian games commonly returned to their homes, triumphantly waving palm branches in their hands, declaring their strength and their victory and what they had accomplished. And so in laying these palms uh, before Christ's path and waving them as he entered Jerusalem, the people were declaring that under the leadership of Jesus was come strength, was come goodness, was come victory to Israel. And some people there did not like it. Now, their greeting unto Jesus was not as the spiritual Messiah who would take away the sins of the world. These people were praising Jesus as a potential political leader who would overthrow Rome. There was a misunderstanding there. And so despite the proclamations of these people and the grand reception that they gave Jesus upon his entry into Jerusalem, their hearts would be exposed only a week later as many of these same people were the ones who cried, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. So that leads us to some important questions. Some very important questions. How did they go from one extreme to another? How did they shift from openly defying the religious ruling class of their day and even, even Rome itself by declaring Christ king to openly renouncing him? How did they go from proclaiming him as their savior to calling for his death? And from this end of the spectrum, it's easy to ask these questions with a sense of judgment, to look down on these people because none of us feel that we would do what they did. None of us feel that we would be there. But let me remind you that these were God's people. And so I want us to go beyond the religious observance of what people call Palm Sunday. Because, listen, you can wave palms, you can take a palm, you can bend it however you want. But if it doesn't draw you to Christ as king and does not remind you that he is Lord and Lord of all, then what are we doing? Now, I know this, this is not one of those messages that you were expecting. You're expecting a feel-good message. But you know what's really good about the Word of God? It is the truth. And there's much encouragement that we can draw from this. So what do we learn from this moment? What do we learn? The first thing that we learn is that Jesus is not 
that Jesus is our Savior, not our religion. Jesus is our Savior, not our religion. Listen, Jerusalem abounded with religious people, with religious rituals, with religious facilities. And be that as it may, many of the people there lacked an understanding of God's plan, not just for them, but for the entire world. They were oblivious to it. There was no enlightenment to it. And so while it was full of religion, it was empty at its core, so much so that the people could not see who Jesus was really before them. They saw him as a political figure in the making through their religious eyes and their personal desires. They understood Jesus to be the one who, who could save them and raise them out of their circumstances like he raised Lazarus from the dead. But they did not believe that he was the promised Savior of God. And the thing that stopped them was their religion. You know, in Psalm 40, I believe, I believe it's Psalm 40, David makes this statement. He says, sacrifice and, and, and offerings you do not desire. If you read it in context, you know what David says? He, he, right after that statement, he says, now I see that what you desire is not this religious Worship that I've grown accustomed to. And my friends, that's good news. I'm going to tell you why. Because that sets us free. That sets us free from monotony. It sets us free from routine. It sets us free from the traditions of men. See, religion is man's attempt to reach God. While Christianity is God's attempt to reach men. Let me, let me take that a step further. Religion is man's attempt to reach God. Christ is God's attempt to reach men. And notice how God did it. He didn't give us just rules. He gave us his very deity in the form of a man. He said, here I am. Let me meet you right where you are. But let me show you what true worship is, what true relationship is. So I want us to see what Jesus had to say about religion. Matthew 23, starting at verse 1 and then we're, uh, through verse 4, and then we're going to skip over to verse uh, 13, says this. It says, Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, they sit in Moses' seat. You know what he's saying there? They rule over you and they teach you. That's what he's saying. And so you must be careful to do everything they tell you. They're teaching you what the word is. They're pointing you to the scriptures. But do not do what they do. For they do not practice what they preach. Listen to what he says. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. In verse 13 he goes on to say, woe to you. Teachers of the law and Pharisees. Let me, let me translate that. Woe to you, religious people. Now, I'm not saying that's you. But we really got to gauge where we stand in relation to this relationship with Christ. Is it, is it mere religion or is it something real, a real relationship, right? 
And so he says, woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those who ent- uh, enter who are trying to. You know, it broke my heart today, man, of all days. And, and I wasn't even, this isn't really part of my message, but I'll share it. I walked in today and I was talking with someone on staff and, and they were sharing with me the, the tragic reality of what's happening. There's, there's this song that just came out, um, Montero or something like that, I think the name is. And the artist is very well known. A few years ago, he came out with a song and, you know, like, it became like an anthem for little kids, right? This guy in a cowboy suit, right? And, and it became like the go-to, right? And all these kids. And, and so he came out with this song, but prior to coming out with the song, he, he, he came out with his new identity, right? His new his new gender, his new, this is who I am. This is, this is what I'm really all about. And what broke my heart is that in this song, what he's literally depicting is his freedom, right, from religion, right, and how he's, now he has what he's wanted. I do not recommend that you let your kids watch this video. I do not recommend that you buy into all this. Listen, there are even sneakers associated with this. And guess what they're called? Satan's shoes. On them is inscribed Luke 10.18. On the sneaker. On the sneaker. Right? The company that released them is another company that bought the sneakers from Nike. And the only ones that they are, they're only making 666 sneakers. And they're going to be sold for $1,018 a piece. And the claim is that in each sneaker is a drop of blood. What is that all about? Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to see something. I, I, you know, it got me thinking, where did this go wrong? And I read a tweet from this guy. I wish I had my phone, so I'm, I'll paraphrase it. But here's what he says in this tweet. He says, for all of you who told me, who preached at me and told me that I was wrong, that, 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 that uh, I was making a bad choice about what I desired for my own sexual desires, he says this. He says, the same way you hated on me, now hate yourselves. That's basically what he says. I'm paraphrasing because I don't have the tweet in front of me. My point with that is this. Here's a guy who grew up in the church under the guise of religion but never met Christ. And you know what? There are many people today that will decry him from the church and would crucify him and would knock him. And I'm not saying that what he's saying is, is, is right. It is absolutely wrong. It is completely erroneous. But you know where it went wrong? In the church. Do you see the danger of religion? We get so high on our spiritual horse that we fail to exemplify the love of God and we fail to point people to Christ instead of pointing them to rules. This is what Jesus was saying to these Pharisees and these Sadducees. He's saying, you're hypocrites because you push these laws, you push these rules, but you yourselves don't even live them. And you try to keep people under your thumb for the sake of controlling them. Can I just say this plainly to you? Be free in Christ. 
in Christ. In Christ. Know Christ. Don't go to church. Don't read your word. Don't sing songs just for the sake of monotony. It has to be real. It has to be real. And this is what Jesus is getting at. He's getting at the heart of this. And so he says this. They tie up. Uh, uh, um, he says, woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. See, religion doesn't lead people to Christ. It restricts them from Christ. It just got real quiet up in here. Listen to Romans chapter 7 verses 1 through 2 in this regard. And then I'll jump to verse 4. He says, or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law. The law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Verse 4. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. Notice that fruit, the branch, is a reflection of the root. Of a true and real relationship with God. And what Paul is saying here is this. Watch out. Watch out for your religion. At the expense of a true and real relationship with Christ. See, Christ did not save you and I to restrict us with the chains of religion. Now, when I say religion, let me be very clear. I'm talking about the day-to-day. This is what we're supposed to do. This is how I'm supposed to live. This is what I'm supposed to follow. This is what, and, and it becomes works. There's no heart for Christ. It's just works. It's just works. Right? And we got to be careful that we don't justify ourselves based on our works. But we got to be careful also that we don't justify what we do based upon because I'm saved by grace. See, there's got to be a balance there. There's got to be, both are hypocrisy. Both are hypocrisy. And none of them work. Right? So Christ did not save us to restrict us with the chains of religion. You know, it reminds me of a, like, it's kind of like the, the elephant that grows up in a circus. Right? As a little baby elephant, I think they call them calves too. These little baby elephants, here's what they do. They, they, Put a, 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 a large iron kind of ankle lock thing on, their, on one of their uh, legs. And it's, it's chained and this chain is attached to a steel peg. And that peg is in the ground. Now, as a little baby elephant, this elephant can't break free. But here's what's interesting. Very quickly, this little elephant becomes a big one. And it grows accustomed to the belief that this is what I'm locked into. And so while being this massive beast that can simply just snap the chain and walk away, it never tries. Why? 
because it's restricted not by the chain, not by the ankle uh, uh, lock on it. It's restricted by the belief that this is how it's supposed to be. That's what religion does to us. Paul says you are free from the law. You are free from the law. Now that doesn't mean that we just are free to just do whatever we want. We, we bite the bullet of those consequences when we do that. That we are truly free indeed. The book of Hebrews says that the law is, a, is the, the, the old law, the old covenant had to be removed. Because a better one came. That better one is the covenant that we have with Christ. Not a religion. Not a religion. Right? The second thing I want to leave you with here today is this. It's that we have a king. I'm going to say that again. We have a king. Now, I know that for many of us, that's foreign. We can't even begin to rationalize or fathom what that is. See, in these days, the concept of life in a kingdom was real because all territories, all realms throughout the earth were ruled by kingdoms, by a king. And yet, as Jesus entered Jerusalem and the people proclaimed him king, the scriptures say in John 12, 18, and we read it, and I'm going to read it again, that many people did so. The reason why they came was because they had heard that he had performed this sign. He had raised Lazarus from the dead. And so they went out to meet him. It sounds like something noble, but the Greek word for that word meet there is the Greek word hypanteo. And, and what it means is, is to go out and meet with opposition and hostility. Now, why is that important? Because in other words, what we're seeing here is that while these people openly declared, Hosanna, Hosanna, the Savior's here, save now. He's here, almighty king, the one that God has sent us as our king. As they cried that out. As they declared that openly, within their hearts, beneath the surface, they were opposed to Christ. They were opposed to him. They were opposed. And so when we seek Christ solely for what he can do, here's what they were saying. Man, set us free from Rome. We just don't want you as king. That's literally what they were saying. So when we seek Christ solely for what he can do for us, we're not seeking Christ. We're not even seeking God. We're seeking ourselves. We're seeking our benefit. We're seeking our desires. Listen to Matthew 12, 30, what Jesus says. Just a couple of moments right after this. He says, whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather, whoever does not draw together with me, scatters, he says. Literally what he's saying is, they're, they're, is they fly abroad. They're everywhere, into everything. It's no wonder that only a week later these people called for Christ to be crucified. See, they were only searching for what he could do. For them. But let me remind you of what you have in Christ. Revelations 19, 15, and 16 says this. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp 
sword, it's his word, with which to strike down the nations. He will rule with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. Watch this. On his robe and on his thigh he has this name written. King of kings and Lord of lords. Now I want you to sit with this thought for a moment. You have a king. A king. A king. We don't have a political figure. We don't have a God, help me, save me just when I need it. God, just give me what I want. No, what we have is a king. That's a powerful statement. It should shake us to the very foundations of what we believe and how we approach God. See, in a kingdom, everyone is subject to live perpetually for the benefit of the king. Not themselves. It's all for Christ. Here's a good question to consider at this moment. A sobering one. A sobering one. Is Christ king in your life? King. Is he king? Is he Lord? You know, in light of this, I want us to consider a familiar passage of Scripture that reminds us. I like the way Jesus even puts it in John 15. He says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. That word vine there speaks of a root. He says, I'm the vine, you're the branch. Where does the life come from? From the root or from the fruit? Starting to get a picture here? But I want to remind you what 1 Peter chapter 2 says in verse 9. He says, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special Notice the lane that we live in in life. His own special people. His own special people. Watch this. That you may proclaim the praises of you. Is that what it says? That you may proclaim praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Notice that you and I are chosen. Notice that you and I are royalty. That we are a priesthood. That we are a holy nation. But that we are his own special people. And the purpose for which we exist in relationship with Christ is not for us to act as if he's the branch and we're the vine. No, it's for the roots intended purpose it's for Christ and the last thing that I want to leave you with here today is with this point it's that we cannot solely we cannot see Christ solely for his power and expect to know Christ 
I just want to take a moment just to speak directly to our hearts here. Because I think there's one thing that we all are familiar with, that we can all tap, tap into and know to be true. It's that sense of need, of desire, of want. And I know what it is, we all do, to go to God based on those needs and those wants. Based on those desires and those dreams. Based on that request. But ladies and gentlemen, we've got to understand something. That we are not called to simply go to God for what we need and what we want. If all we do is seek God for what we can get from him, we've bypassed God. It's not a relationship. It's strictly for my need. And I know that this is a tough and challenging message. Look, it challenges me too. It should challenge us. But I want us to consider this, that the value, the power of these palms should signify something to us beyond the branch. It should draw us back to the root. Where all I want is you, Christ. All I desire is to know you and you only. And I believe that in this moment, what these people were missing was the opportunity that they had to turn around. Because listen, where the king leads, there's promise. And so while they proclaimed Christ as king and they said, Hosanna, save us now, save us now, save us now. They were missing the real salvation power. They were missing Christ as Lord and King. Don't make the same mistake that they did. We're in a day and age where this world is going topsy-turvy. But let me speak to you, church. Let me speak to you, people of God. Let me speak to you. You know one of the reasons why this world is going in the direction it's going? Let me just say this to you. I love you. I love you with all my heart. But more than I love you, I love God. And it's because of that that I will say that I will make this statement. The reason why this world is going topsy-turvy is not just because of the ideas of men. It's because of the absence of the people of God that love God truthfully and lead the way. Church, I know this is Old Testament, but let me tell you, man, there's real truth in this. If my people... If my people would pray and turn to me and turn from their wicked ways. Listen, that tells us something. That even the people of God can turn to something false. You know that silence speaks loudly? Church, 
We have to be loud, not just with what we say, but with our lives and our love for Christ. There's a world hurting and in need. And what they need is the true bread of life. They need what you and I have. Isn't it about time that we turned and made the decision to truly praise God, not just with our outward worship, but with our hearts from the root. Let's stand here today. As we close here today, I want to lead into this point that I was just making. And I want to give you the words of Jesus. There was a time where the people were mesmerized at hearing the words of Jesus, of seeing his miracles. And there came a point where he multiplied bread and fish. And the scriptures record that he fed over 5,000 people, which was a lot more than that. Because in those days, they only counted men. So there's a lot of people, thousands of people. Shortly thereafter, the Bible says that Jesus went to the other side of the lake. And when he got to the other side of the lake, the people that were on the side of the lake when he performed this miracle ran, found a way to get there where they met Jesus at the shore. And they came seeking him. They came asking him questions. And Jesus, the scripture says, you're not seeking me. You're seeking me because I gave you bread. You just, you just want what I can give you. Listen to the words of Jesus in John chapter 35. And 36. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will not grow hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, listen to this, you have seen me and still you do not believe. You know what Jesus was doing there? He wasn't condemning people. Like a precise surgeon, he was taking the word of God and cutting to the very core of the infection. And he was saying, this is what's in your heart. Now heal. I leave you with this thought. Don't starve while having the bread before you. You don't have to thirst. You don't have to starve. You don't have to hunger for material things. All that you need is in Christ. And on this day that we commemorate what many people allude to as Palm Sunday, I want to remind you what this is really about. It's about being a people that recognize and understand I need Christ above all and my King is come. And because my king has come, here's what the root determines for me. I have strength. I have victory. I walk in confidence. I am provided for. But above all, 
I serve a king who is not just a king. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords, and his kingdom is come. And where I go, his kingdom goes with me. So go out there and declare the praises of God. Declare Christ risen. But draw that from a sincere heart. Lord Jesus, today, here we are before you. Lord, in all your wisdom, you say, Lord, that all creation declares who you are. It cries out for you. Today, Lord, with these palms, we're reminded, Lord, that you are our king. That there is none above you, Lord. That in you, Lord, we have strength and life and victory, Lord. And yes, we're blessed. But may we, your people, never forget that you are our king. And that we exist to love you, to worship you, to follow you, to do the works that you have prepared for us, that they might bring glory to your name. Now, it's very possible that there's someone here today, maybe you're joining us online, and in hearing this message, it resonates with you. Maybe you've been in church and you've seen the hypocrisy. Maybe you've stayed away from anything having to do with Christ because you feel that people judge you, that people look down upon you. I want you to see something, that Jesus showed up and fulfilled a a prophecy among people that did not care or believe in him. But in coming in that day, arriving in Jerusalem, here's what he was declaring. I am your king and I am all that you need and I am come. I say to you, my friend, you're struggling in your relationship with God. Don't believe in Jesus. Don't believe in God. But you find yourself struggling. The king has come. And it's not based upon what you do for the king for him to be king in your life. It's based on you simply saying, save me now. Help me. If that's you, you need to know this today. That what Jesus was doing that day was depicting what he would do for all men. The original prophecy says that the king has come, but it says he comes lowly and on a donkey. It wasn't what people expected. And on the cross, it wasn't what anyone expected for salvation. No one thought that God would become a man and die a death deserving of the penalty of sin to pay the price for all the world. And yet God came and he said, I love you so much that I will lay my life down for you to set you free from that chain that has kept you stuck to declare freedom to you. That sin would no longer rule over you. 
that you would know me as your King and Lord. Hey everybody, thank you so much for joining us here at Church of the Bridge today. I pray that you had a personal encounter with God, that he spoke to you powerfully, and that he met you at your place of need with this message. I also want to encourage you to go ahead and subscribe to our YouTube page. By doing so, you'll be able to check out past messages, uh, past events that we've done. You'll also be able to see what's happening now and those things that are to come. And lastly, I'd like to invite you to join with us in all that God is doing with your giving. Feel free to do so on our website. Again, thank you again for joining us, and I can't wait to connect with you next week.